Amen. This morning, if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it up to the Gospel of John for a moment, to John chapter 3. Today's message is going to be more of a thematic message, a topical message on the ascension of Christ. If you stop and think about it, as Christians, we talk a lot about the incarnation of Jesus, especially around Christmas when we celebrate his birth, his virgin birth, his virgin conception, and rightfully so. We also talk a lot about the crucifixion of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. We do that pretty much every Sunday as we want to preach and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And at the heart of the gospel is the the death of Jesus on the cross and the resurrection of Jesus on the third day. And, And we really focus on the crucifixion and the resurrection when it comes to the Easter season and as we did over the last two Sundays together here as as God's people. But oftentimes, the ascension of Jesus is not something that is spoke about very often. In fact, it seems as though the the ascension of Jesus is treated as though it's just an afterthought. It's simply just an appendix to the life, death, and burial, and resurrection of Christ. But the ascension of Jesus is an important Doctrine, an important teaching of Scripture that we need to understand. In fact, if you really think about it, the ascension of Jesus answers the important questions that one should have when we put together the idea that we often and always speak about, if you want to say, about worshiping a risen, living Savior. And rightfully so, because we do worship Jesus uh, as the God-man who came and who gave his life and whom God raised from the dead. It, It should cause us to think about the ascension of Jesus, even from what we talked about together last Sunday, especially in the sunrise service where we gathered together and we saw from Scripture that there were at least... 10 to 12, even up to 13 different appearances where Jesus appeared to his disciples after his resurrection. And we think about what it says in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 1, that that Jesus, for over a 40-day period of time, appeared to his apostles and appeared to his disciples with convincing proofs showing them that he had been raised from the dead. And we looked at some of those proofs that he gave. He he talked with them. He he ate with them. He, He sat with them. He spent time with them. He fixed breakfast for them. Jesus was there among his disciples. So if you think about it, We talk about the death of Christ and we talk about the resurrection of Christ and we talk about all those appearances, but yet maybe a question that we should ask is, is then, so where is he? Where is Jesus? I mean, if little less than 2,000 years ago he was walking here on the earth and he was making these appearances at different times and on different occasions among his disciples, what about today? Why did those appearances stop? And why now do we never see him? What happened? Where did he go? Well, that's a question. Those are questions that the ascension 
and the truths that are related to the ascension answer for us. And so we want to consider that together, not only this Sunday, but next Sunday together as God's people and looking at the ascension of Jesus. This morning what I want us to focus on is three different aspects or perspectives about the ascension of Jesus. I want us to look first off at the revelation that is given to us in Scripture regarding the ascension. And then secondly, I want us to look at the reason that is given to us for the ascension of Jesus. And then thirdly, I want us to look at what I just call the reality given to us of the ascension. That is, look at the details that are given to us from Scripture about Jesus when he ascended back into heaven. And then next Sunday when we gather together, I want us to look at the results, the results that are given to us from Scripture because of the ascension. There were some results for Jesus himself and there were some results for you and for me. There are some things that weren't going to happen until Jesus ascended back to heaven. Okay, And that's why it's going to be very important for us to understand the significance of the ascension of Jesus Christ. Let's start off this morning, and I had you turn here to the Gospel of John, to John chapter 3. Because I want us to look first off at the revelation, that is the revelation of Scripture that is given to us concerning the ascension of Jesus. Now we could have started in the Old Testament, in fact, if you think about this, you don't need to turn there, but over in the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 4, and verses 8 and 9, the Apostle Paul quotes from Psalm 68, verse 18, where he's speaking about Jesus and speaking about when he ascended on high. The Old Testament does teach the ascension of Jesus, especially through implication. That is, if you go back and you read in the Old Testament, you will clearly come away from the Old Testament knowing that Jesus, the one who was going to come to be the Messiah and be the Savior, he was going to be virgin conceived, virgin born into this world. That he was going to live and that at the end of his life, he, his life was going to be cut off. He was going to put, be put to death. He was going to be put to death on a cross. You can go into the Old Testament and the Old Testament would teach you also about the resurrection of Jesus. And not only that, the Old Testament would teach you not just in the birth of Jesus, not just in the life of Jesus, not just in the death of Jesus, and not just in the resurrection of Jesus, but you go back and look in the prophets and what you would see is that it also taught us that one day this one who was the Messiah was going to come again to this earth and come from heaven. So we can know by the implications of that that somehow this one who is here, that's Messiah, that was going to be born and live and die and be raised again, he was going to end back up in heaven. Now what the Old Testament doesn't reveal to us at that time is how it is that was going to happen. And even the things that were going to be transpiring during that period of time until the Lord Jesus Christ would return. But I wanted you to start here in the Gospel of John. Because it is here in the New Testament that the Bible gives us the revelation more explicitly about the ascension of Jesus. And what may surprise you is when you go back and read, especially in the Gospel of John, what you will find is, is that Jesus alluded to his ascension quite often. 
Way more often than what you may think. In fact, go here and start here in the Gospel of John in John chapter 3 and look at verse 13 where Jesus says, No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Letting them know here even up front that he is the one who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man, and he is going to ascend back to heaven. Look over in John chapter 6 for a moment. We're going to look at different verses here in the Gospel of John. Go over to John chapter 6 and in verse 62, where some of those who were struggling, who were supposedly his disciples, were listening to him begin to teach, and, and they, they, they're struggling with some of the things that he's teaching. And in verse 60, they say, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, said to them, does this cause you to stumble? What then if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? He's saying, look, you're going to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before. Where was he before? He was in heaven with his Father. Look over in John chapter 7 for a moment. In John chapter 7, here he's talking to the Pharisees and he's talking to the unbelieving Jews of his day. And he says in verse 33, for a little while longer I am with you, then I go to him who sent me. You will seek me and will not find me, and where I am you cannot come. So the Jews then said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? He is not intending to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks, is he? What is this statement that he said, you will seek me and will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come? They're, they're trying to understand what he's teaching, but again, remember who he's teaching here. He's teaching these. These are unbelieving Jews of that day, and he's saying, I'm not going to be here for very much longer. And where I'm going to go, I'm going to go back to my father. And where I'm going, you can't come. And we're going to find out the reason why they can't come is because they're not true followers and disciples of Jesus. But notice again, he's teaching them, I'm going to be leaving and then I'm going to go to him who sent me. Keep moving, go over to chapter 13 for a moment. John chapter 13. And notice first off in John 13, verse 1, here's John who's writing by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, saying, Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. John going back again by the, the Spirit of God saying Jesus at this point knew that his hour had come, that as his death had come, the time for his death had come and he would depart out of this world. But notice he's departing to go somewhere and he's going to the Father. Verse 3 he says, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God. Stay there in chapter 13 and just look over at verse 31. Here Jesus is talking now to his true disciples. And he says, therefore, 
when he had gone out, Jesus said, this time about when Judas had gone out, now is the Son of Man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him immediately. Little children, I am with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, now that's just a reference back to John chapter 7 we were reading a moment ago. He says, as I said to the Jews, now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. Where I'm going, you cannot come. So now Peter eventually follows that up in verse 36. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered, where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. See, Jesus didn't say that back to the unbelieving Jews. But he says it to Simon Peter. Remember now, he's talking to his true disciples. And he's saying, right now, where I'm going, you cannot follow me, but sometime later you will follow me to where it is I'm going. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I, I want to follow you wherever you go. I'll lay down my life for you. Jesus, I'll go with you wherever. Of course, that's where Jesus tells him, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will, will not crow until you deny me three times. Look over in John chapter 14 for a moment. Look down, verse 28. Jesus, tell, again, he's preparing his disciples for his departure. Remember, his hour has come. The time for his death has come. And he says in verse 28, You heard that I said to you, I go away, and I will come to you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced, because I go to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Now I have told you before it happens, so that when it happens, you may believe. Notice again, he says, You would have rejoiced, because I'm going to the Father. I'm going back to where I was before. I'm going back to him who sent me. Look over in chapter 16 for a moment. You can, he, he's, again, speaking to his disciples. And he's, he's informing them in verse 2 that look, they're going to treat you as outcasts from the synagogue. Uh, they're going to be killing you to think that they're offering service to God. These things they will do because they have not known the Father or me. But these things I have spoken to you so that when that their hour comes, you may remember that I told you of them. These things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. Now verse 5, but now I am going to him who sent me and none of you ask me, where are you going? See, he says, look, but now, notice at the end of verse 4, because I was with you, but now I am going, I'm going back to the one who sent me. I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you need to ask me anymore about where it is that I'm going, because I've told you where I'm going. I'm going back to where I came from, from heaven. I'm going back to my Father. Jesus here is teaching about his ascension, about his going back to be with his heavenly Father in heaven. You can look over in John chapter 17, if you will, for just a moment. In John chapter 17, 
Here he's praying to his father. And in this prayer that the Lord is offering on behalf of his disciples and even on behalf of us, he says in verse 11, I am no longer in the world and yet they themselves are in the world. But notice he says, he's talking to the father and he says, and I come to you. I'm, I'm coming to you. And that's why he's saying, oh, holy father, keep them in your, in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. Down in verse 13, he says, but now I come to you. He knows he's getting ready to eventually hear in the very near future, come to the father. Jesus here was quite often teaching them about his life, about his death and his resurrection, but he was teaching them also about his ascension back to heaven. If we were, this is all happening before the ascension. If you were to look at the epistles, and you look in the epistles, this is after the ascension of Jesus. You don't need to turn there, but over in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, the Apostle Paul, speaking about Jesus, says he was taken up in glory. In 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 22, Peter speaking about Jesus says he is at the right hand of God having gone into heaven. You look throughout the other epistles, even into the book of Revelation, and what you see is that talking about Jesus being in heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father. That Jesus is now back with his, his Father. He's now back in heaven. Let's look at the ascension and what the revelation gives us in Scripture about it as far as during the ascension itself. And the place we need to look is in the Gospel of Luke and in the book of Acts, both written by Luke. Go to Luke chapter 24 for just a moment. In Luke chapter 24, and then we'll turn to Acts chapter 1. But in Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 50, it says, And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. Here's the Gospel of Luke teaching us about the ascension it's itself while it was happening, that Jesus was with his disciples, talking to them, teaching them, speaking to them. He has his hands up and he's blessing them. And while he was blessing them, he just parted from them and he was carried up into heaven. Now look over in Acts chapter 1, where we're given a little more detail about it. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus, we know some of the things he was teaching them there in verse 6 and 7 and 8, even up to verse 4. But notice beginning in verse 9, after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. And they also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Beloved, the word of God teaches us about the ascension of Jesus. Before it happened, while it happened and after it happened. So this is a very critical event 
in the life of Jesus. One that, that you should believe. Again, just as some will question the resurrection of Jesus, and some will question the truthfulness of the crucifixion of Jesus, sadly, there are those who will also question the ascension of Jesus and say, there's no way this happened. Because as we're going to see in a moment, this is a miracle. This is just as much a miracle as the resurrection of Jesus. Because Jesus here is just taken up right before their eyes. And he's just rising up slowly before their eyes and he goes up into the clouds until he disappears. But the Bible is very clear. Jesus taught about his ascension. He was going back to the Father. The epistles teach it as well. So have convictions when it comes to the ascension that you believe what the Word of God teaches, the revelation given to us about the ascension. But secondly, I want us to think about the reason for the ascension. What is the reason given to us for the ascension? Well, to find that, we need to go back over to a book that we've been studying here on Sunday mornings. Go to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. The answer to the question of what was the reason for the ascension is given us here in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 9. If you recall, as we've been studying through Philippians chapter 2, and we've been looking at the, the incarnation of Jesus and the humiliation of Jesus, and when we started there, and you, and you start back in, in chapter in chapter 2, and you look there in verse 6, that it's been kind of a downward movement of the actions. And all the actions have been the actions that Jesus was taking. Jesus having this attitude in himself that said, I know that I am equal with God the Father. And though I'm equal with God the Father, I am willing to leave heaven and come down. And I'm willing to take a step down. And I'm willing to take a step down in becoming a part of mankind. And not just becoming a part of mankind, I'm willing to take another step down and become a slave while I'm there. And not only am I willing to take the step of to being a part of humanity and being a slave and a servant, I'm even willing to take the step all the way down to following the will of my Father to the point of death and not just any death but the death on a cross where I will suffer the shame of the stigma that would come with that. And so these are all the actions of Jesus moving downward in the humiliation of Jesus. And it is now when you get to verse 9 that the, there's a major shift and everything starts moving upward. And in verse 9 it says, For this reason. What reason? Because Jesus was willing to step down as we just talked about and become a part of mankind and become a servant and go to the cross where he would suffer for our sins because Jesus was willing to do that. It says, God highly exalted him. And what I want you to understand is, is that the ascension of Jesus is God's response to the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus that he is now responding and ascending him back to heaven to welcome him back to where he had come from. Notice in verse 9, it is now God who is the actor. You see, in verse 6, 7, and 8, it was Jesus who was the actor. 
It is Jesus who emptied himself. It was Jesus who took on the form of a bondservant. It was Jesus who was willing to be found in appearance as a man. It was Jesus who humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. But now in verse 9, it is God who highly exalted him. It is God who bestowed on him the name which is above every name. It is the Father who did this. Which tells you again, this is, it says, for this reason, God acted to exalt him and bestow on him the name that is above every name, so that everyone's going to bow to him and confess him for who he really is as Lord. Beloved, the resurrection and the ascension are a part of of the Father's response to the life and the death of Jesus. He is the one exalting him. He's the one exalting him. And so he, he welcomes him back to heaven, which means he was pleased. He was pleased with what his son had done. He was pleased, obviously, with his life. He was pleased with his death. He was pleased in his resurrection. He was pleased and welcomed him back to heaven and not just welcome him back, but welcome him back in such a way he seated him at his right hand, which means this is the one who is in the position of authority. You see, the ascension for the disciples was a, de was a departure, but... For heaven, it was a reception. It was a welcome reception, welcoming him back. Think about what Jesus had been teaching them. The Father sent me. I came from him. I'm going back to him. The ascension is a response of the Father to his Son, of highly exalting him. So this is the reason for the ascension. But now let's look Lastly, this morning, at the reality given to us about the ascension. And to do that, I want you to go back to Acts chapter 1. Go back to Acts chapter 1. And there's three ways I want us to consider the, the reality of the ascension. Or three or four ways I want us to look at it. First... I want you to see the publicity of the ascension. Just how public it was. Again, you go back and you read. We see there in verse 9, after he had said these things, he was lifted up. But notice, while they were looking on. Verse 10, as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going. Okay, so just how public the ascension was. In fact, if you stop and you think about it, the ascension was more public than the resurrection because no one actually, besides God himself, no one actually saw Jesus being raised from the dead. Nobody saw Jesus walk out of the tomb. Nobody saw Jesus fold the clothes that he was wearing and lay them neatly back where it was his body had, had been laying there. No one saw that. Now, they did see Jesus after his resurrection. And that's what we talked about last week. All those appearances that he made to his disciples, that he made to over 500 people in such convincing fashion to know this was flesh and bone that was standing here. This was not just a spirit. 
He had been literally and physically raised from the dead. That's why he said, give me a piece of fish and let me eat that piece of fish to let you know. I know you're troubled in your spirit. And again, not just because they were seeing him, but the way he would appear to them. Because there are occasions, beloved, where these, these men are just gathered together in the room and all of a sudden Jesus is there. Now that would startle me. And so they're thinking they're just seeing a spirit. And he says, you're not just seeing a spirit. It's me. Remember, he says, touch me. Touch my hands. Touch my side. Touch my feet. Give me something to eat. Let me show you. This is really me. I'm here, literally, physically, in your sight, in your presence. But they didn't see him actually be raised from the dead. But they did actually see him ascend back to heaven. He was lifted up while they were looking on. And it says there in verse 10, as they were gazing intently, which tells you it wasn't just a glance, that they were looking as intense. I mean, their eyes are fixed on Jesus as he starts to lift up and go out of their presence and they're just watching him slowly go up before them and they're just watching him and watching me and watching me and just looking at him going up until they see him no more. They saw this with their own eyes. They could testify to how it is that he left this earth. So they had the, the publicity of the, the ascension itself. Secondly, when we're thinking about the reality of the ascension, the power, the power of the ascension, notice what it says. It just says he was lifted up. And he was received, and a cloud received him out of their sight. He was just taken up. He was just taken before their eyes. Well, when you stop and again, you think about that, Jesus is defying gravity here. He's just simply being lifted off the ground and moving up forward, upwards towards the sky until he was received into the clouds and he disappeared. As I said, this is a miracle as well. And what an amazing feat for them to see. And look, I, I can't blame them. You can't blame them either. There's, I know the, the angels speak to them and say, you know, why do you stand looking into the sky? I'd be still looking in the sky. I mean, a man who was standing there before us had his hands up and is blessing us and talking to us and all of a sudden he begins to lift up and go out of our presence and we're just standing here watching him as he, as he does that. I'd be still looking up too. The power of this, but what I want you to see is it says that he was lifted up, he was taken up. That's in the passive tense, which means it was a power, it was someone else that was doing it for him. And that someone else is God the Father. You see, that's why you go back to Philippians 2.9 and you put that together, what you see here, that he was lifted up. It was the Father that is highly exalting him before their very eyes and lifting him up and ascending him back into heaven and welcome him back there. The power of God is on display in the ascension. So I know the Lord can take us 
when he so desires and how he so desires. But thirdly, when we think about the reality of the ascension, this third part of that I call the the permanent nature of the ascension. And you will say, what do you mean by that? Well, go back for just a moment to the Gospel of Luke. Go to Luke 24. This is why this is important. I believe that Jesus ascended back into heaven in such a public, powerful way that he did for the disciples. If you go back to Luke 24, beginning in verse 13 is where you have the encounter that Jesus has with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And do you remember how he left them? He remember he walks along with them. He's asking questions of them and, and they're just distraught. They don't understand what has happened. They thought he was the Messiah. They thought he was going to bring in the, the kingdom. I mean, they thought this was the redemption of Israel. They thought it was all coming as promised in the Old Testament. And they just, they're confused. They don't understand. And he begins to talk to them in verse 25. Oh foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? So he began with them in Moses and with all the prophets. And he began to explain to them the things concerning himself and all the scriptures and they approach a village there and, and he was acting as though he was going to keep going f- farther along and they urged him stay with us stay with us remember at this point they still don't recognize him and when he's reclining at the table with them in verse 30 he took the bread and blessed it and breaking it he began giving it to them then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight He just vanished. Then you come down a little further and you look down in verse 36. A little later on in the day, while they were telling these things, he himself just seems to stand in their midst and says to them, peace be to you. And they're startled, they're frightened. They thought they were seeing a spirit. So on one occasion on that day, he just vanishes out of their sight. On the other occasion, a little later in that day, he just appears on sight. Jesus is moving in and out of them. Over the next 40 days, he's moving in and out of the presence of the disciples. If you recall, about a week later, when they're there gathered together again, and this time Thomas is with them, he just appears again and shows himself to Thomas. Jesus was making these appearances, spending time with them, sometimes long times with them, talking with them, teaching them about the kingdom of God, teaching them so they understand more about what the scriptures were teaching. But he's moving in and out of them in these miraculous ways where he's appearing and disappearing and and all these things are happening so you can see that they need something to happen in such a way that when he leaves this time, they know he's not coming back. That is, he's not going to be making any more of these appearances as he's been doing. That this time when he leaves, he's leaving until he returns again to stay permanently. And that's a, if you think about it, that's what the angels say. If you go back to Acts chapter 1, 
In verse 11, they say, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as he has, you've watched him go into heaven. And remember what Jesus taught them. What did we read? If you go back and read in the Gospel of John, what was it Jesus kept saying to them? He kept saying to them, in a little while, you're no longer going to see me. And I'm going to go back to my Father. And when I go back to my Father, at least for right now, you can't follow me. Where I'm going, you can't follow. So he was teaching them that at some point, after his death and after his resurrection, he was going to go back to the Father and go back to the Father in such a way that he wasn't going to be coming back and continuing those appearances with them. And that's important to remember, to think about, that they weren't going to continue to see him as they did. And they got the message. They understood. They understood Jesus had now, from this event of the ascension and all the details and the way it happened and what Jesus had taught them beforehand, they understood that he's now back in heaven and that's where he's now going to remain. This is where Jesus is going to be. In fact, we know they understood that. Go over to the book of Acts and go to Acts chapter 3 for just a moment. In Acts chapter 3, see, he's been, Jesus has been highly exalted by the Father who has brought him back to heaven. And they understand now what that means that things are different than it was in those, that 40-day period where they were seeing him. Notice here Peter preaching. We'll pick it up in verse 19. He says, Therefore repent and return, talking to the, the Jewish people that day, so that your sins may be wiped away, in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus the Christ appointed for you, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient time. Beloved, that tells you right there, Peter understood from the ascension and how it happened and what Jesus had taught and just his understanding of scripture that on that occasion when Jesus ascended back to heaven that that was going to be more of a permanent stay. That is, he was going to be, he had been received back into heaven and he was staying there until the period of restoration of all things. That's where he's going to be. And Peter understood that. Some of that he may send Jesus. So he knows Jesus is going to be sent back. Jesus is coming back. But right now he's in heaven, which is where he's going to be until he comes for his people. He's coming to this earth where he's going to rule and he's going to reign. And that leads me to the last aspect of this reality of the ascension and I, I call it the, the promise that is associated with the ascension you're there in Acts go to Acts chapter 1 again look again at what the, these two men in white clothing that are standing there by them say, says to them in verse 11 it says this Jesus who's been taken up from you into heaven 
again, he was taken up by God the Father into heaven, will come. And he's going to come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. The promise was he's going to come again. Jesus promised his disciples that. Over in the Gospel of John, in John chapter 14, he says, don't let your heart be troubled. If I go, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. And when I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back to receive you so that you can be with me where I am. The angels here, these men standing here in white clothing are telling them there's a promise. I'm promising you, he will come again. They promise, Jesus promised, he is coming again. But now when you read back up earlier and what Jesus was telling them to go and to be witnesses of me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth, and what the angel's saying is, why are you still just looking up in the sky? That is, he's gone, God has received him, God has highly exalted him, he's back in heaven, but while we're here on this earth, what God has given us to do until Jesus returns, and he's going to return in the same way in which he left, Jesus says, go and be witnesses for me. Go share the gospel. Go tell people they need to be redeemed because he also knows that when he comes again, the next time he comes, he's coming to judge this world. And he's going to bring judgment. So beloved, the question I would ask you this morning is, are you ready? Are you ready for Jesus to come? Would you be able to stand before God? Would you be able to stand before Jesus and know that you would be accepted? Do you know that you would be welcomed into heaven? Will heaven, a welcome, will, will heaven welcome you? Will they receive you? Maybe another way to put it is the way Jesus said, where he told his disciples, he says, you can't follow me now, but you can follow me later. And they did follow him later. When they died. When they died, they went into the presence of the Lord. They were with him immediately. So my question is, would you be able to follow him? Again, would you be welcomed into heaven? Please understand, no one, absolutely no one, is going to be welcomed into heaven based on their own life, based on who they are. No one will be. No one is qualified to enter into heaven. No one is. Except... If you come through Jesus, think about that. When Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, that's in the verses that's following immediately after where he's told them, I'm coming, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and I'm going to come back and receive you, saying, I am the way. If you want to follow, if you want to be where I'm going to be, 
I am the way. There is no other way. There's no other way to the Father. There's no other way to heaven. There's no other way for eternal life. It's only through Jesus Christ. And by through Jesus Christ, what I mean is that you have come to that place in your life and in your heart and in your understanding where you have seen that you are a sinner and that you're not qualified to enter into heaven in the presence of God. And the only way you will be qualified is if you repent of your sins and put your faith in Jesus in his life, his death on the cross for your sins, his resurrection. That's the only way you will be accepted into heaven. That's the only way you can follow Jesus into heaven to the Father. That's the only way you are going to be ready if Jesus returns. There's no other way. And it's that simple. It's that straightforward. But beloved, we can't add to that and we can't subtract from that. There are to be no additions. There are to be no subtractions. Beloved, are you ready? Are you ready for Jesus to return? Are you ready to die? Would heaven welcome you? Or would God say, I never knew you. Depart from me. I never knew you. I want to ask you to bow your heads in prayer.